This is The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Now, here are Eric J. Ferda and Eileen Cunningham-Fikens. Welcome to The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania, here live at Sirius XM Studios in New York City, a chilly day. Beautiful day, clear day in New York. I love it. And I'm Eileen Cunningham Fikens, Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School in Englewood, New Jersey. So great to be back with you here in it studio. Is. How did January fly by for you? Here we are, the last weekend of January. It's crazy. I can't believe it, right? But here we are again. And that's what I love about coming on this show every month it, because it kind of sets my clock, right? It does. And it, it, there's so much to talk about in January, isn't there? It's not just our seniors, it's our juniors, our sophomores. That's right. That's what the process is all about. We want you to dive into the journey of the college admissions process inside the college process as families, students, counselors, wherever you are in the timeline. As Eileen said, seniors, juniors, sophomores, you know, students are even making course choices right now as well. So I'm even thinking about seventh and eighth grade, which is a little crazy. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But most importantly, so here's the deal. You have Eileen Cunningham-Fikens, Director of College Counseling, Dwight Englewood School, Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania. Throughout the month, give us a call, 866-993-8267, or email us at the process at SiriusXM.com. Because you're going to wake up in the middle of the night and say, I have this question <laughs> and I need help. And I'm out here all alone. It's dark out. I'm in the wilderness. <laughs> but I know that last weekend of the month, these two people are going to come into my, you know, on the app, my over the radio. Space, and we're going to be my able car. to answer those questions. And it might not be in the middle of the night. It might be as you're having breakfast and you're helping Absolutely. your son or daughter in this process. And Mom, what should I write my essay? about well gee I, I just heard on stars right? channel 109 866-993-8267 so please give us a call the whole point of this show is to answer your questions and help you through this process and we're here and Eileen, we have a special guest in the second half of the show today. You want to say a little bit about Marie? I am so excited to welcome Marie Bigaman. Marie is the founder of Accept, which is the admissions community cultivating equity and peace today. It's a social media-based action group, and it's all for the admissions professionals. She's got over 4,000 members of this group. She founded it. It's, it's so topical, given what's going on in our country, giving... Um, giving credit to the fact that issues of equity and inclusion are so prevalent everywhere you look in media. And let's face it, it was MLK Day. That's right. We just wanted to keep that wonderful vibe going. You know, speaking about the counseling community on MLK Day it, on the campus of the University of Pennsylvania, we had a screening of Personal Statement, which is a great documentary about students who become peer-to-peer -peer counselors. The, the, the producer of that, Julianne Dresner, is a Penn graduate, and so I was introduced to the film, and we had... We had about 700 people in the Annenberg wow. Theater coming wow. out, community members. It was also calling it to attention in Philadelphia, just having more resources for college counselors. So for our listeners, this is what's really important, too, is who are your advocates in this process? You may have someone right in front of you in your school. Maybe your counselor, though, the counselor load for the students is one counselor for 700 students. And so, again, we want to be a resource for you, which I think it's that time for me to plug my blog. Oh, my goodness. And here we go. Here we go. Page 217. Not 216, not, not 216, not 218. Just on time. Page 217. And what's really great about that as it relates to this show is all <laughs> of our past shows are on page 217. 
right? So, so if you you're can looking listen here, to yeah. the archives, going back into the archives. And also, we're going to do something fun here. We have Scott in the studio with us. If anyone wants to email us at the process at SiriusXM.com to let us know what the theme of our music is this show, wow. maybe we could send some special swag, either pen swag or Dwight Englewood swag, or... There's got to be serious XM swag, right? A mug, something, right? Yes. But listen to the music. Let us know because we try to come up with a little theme for That's each right. show. And, and it's, it's just one that, word. We'll one give you a hint. Word. It's just one word and there's a theme, which actually goes to really the month of January. As we've said, we're in the last weekend of January right now. And I've been on the road quite a bit. And I've been traveling with colleagues who are in similar yeah. positions at what universities. What are you doing on the road, Eric? What am I doing? Because it's time for the sophomores and juniors, you know, on your mm-hmm. side, that the seniors have press submit. You could talk about that in a second. They press submit. Also want to hear about some of the results that are coming in from early action schools. In addition, though, you're starting to work with the sophomores and juniors. We are. So I was on the road with some colleagues from different schools, sometimes a panel of eight admissions individuals, admissions deans, directors, associate directors, whatever it may be. Last week, I was actually with the director at UCLA, mm-hmm. as well as the, the, the dean director from, from Bates. Oh, and, excellent. And great people, great to travel with them, and really just sharing this kind of that front-end advice, because we feel so strongly on the process that this is really about list creation. Absolutely. And I agree. so much of this process is, you know, I just applied, did I get in? And feeling that kind of anxiety about getting a decision, while if you're listening to us right now and you work with us over the year, and really the next three or four shows are going to be centered around what I'm call- I call the discovery process. Mm-hmm. There's self-discovery as well as discovery of schools trying to determine, well, why is a school on my list in the first place? Right. And it's so funny that you should bring this up. Well, not funny. It's, it's you know, it's where we are in the year, right? So um, starting next week is the second semester for the Dwight Englewood School. This Thursday night, I'm going to be with my colleagues hosting a junior family See, there you go. night. What right? are your goals for, for an evening like that? To make sure that the families know what the resources are in our office to to calm them and let them know that, you know, there it's a process. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon in a way. And so we want to make sure that they are looking at things in terms of benchmark and timing. And you call it discovery. I call it reflection. Fantastic. Right? So reflecting on what's important to their child um, with educational goals. Who is their child? To reflect on that. To let them know that it's not a one size fit all. Um, and that we're here for them, and that there are so many resources that they can tap into to assist them in this process. So when you're, you know, you're having one of these nights at Dwight Englewood School, do you ever ask, okay, and what you know from the audience, because you know the families, you know, who's been through this process already? And mm-hmm. how would a second-time parent, in terms of going through the process, are they more relaxed? I mean, every child's different, and we know that. I think it's like parenting as a whole, right? So yes, they are more relaxed, but it's not a one size fits all. So they have to be cognizant to the fact that what might have worked for the first child going through the process, they're going to have to tailor it to make it work for the second child. That's right. Right? Because each of my, look, my kids are 13 months apart, very, very different college processes, right? They wanted different things. They had different goals. They were different students. They were different learners. They're different people. That's right. That's right? right. And we want to make sure that each process is tailored to each 
person. While still having a broader understanding. Yes. You know, once you navigate a water once, at least you have some sense of some of the potential turns in the river. Or We ask parents keep who... Keep that allegory or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> we ask our parents, you know, who have you been through this before? And then I always say, look, all those hands that are up in the audience, those are resources for the parents going through this for the first time. You know, maybe they have some tricks to the trade that they're willing to share. And they're usually very willing to share. And so there's a sense of camaraderie that's then developed and engendered. And I love that oh, because absolutely. nobody should feel alone in this process. And, and the parents should be there to support each other. We're going to head to break, but we would love a call with your questions. If you're a parent, a student, a counselor, have a question about the college admissions process, leave us a voice message, 866-993-8267. The process will be right back. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here again are Eric J. Ferda and Eileen cunningham Fikin. Welcome back to The Process on Sirius XM Stars, live from New York the last weekend of January. Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania, with Eileen cunningham Fikins, the Director of College Counseling at the Dwight Englewood School. And Eileen, yes. we are going to go to some questions. And so before we do that, for our listeners, over this next month, 866-993-8267, 866-993-8267, put in your speed dial, because this is when you can hear your question on the process. So why don't we take a second and go to the first caller. My name is Kristen from Atlanta, and my question is about my high-achieving student who is currently a senior. Um, he has been accepted to some very prestigious colleges, and this semester he has had to change his schedule due to an intensive outpatient therapy program. And I'm wondering how colleges will perceive his schedule change. We had to modify his schedule for um, the outpatient therapy. So I'm wondering how colleges perceive schedule changes, having to drop classes and if that will hurt him at the end of the year when he has to turn in his final transcript. I'm also wondering if he's unable to finish the semester, what are our options as far as trying to hold on to these offers? Can he defer a year based on his outpatient therapy, or what are our options? Thank you. It's a fantastic question, it and is. I think we have a number of pieces that we can cover here. Let's. Why don't we start with the basics about communication, Eileen, across okay. our table, and also from the families when after a student's been admitted and they need to change their schedule for any reason. For any reason, right? So it's interesting because this is when seniors are contemplating how to spend the last semester in high school. That's right. Some of them want to take their foot off the gas a little bit, right? Because they might have an admittant hand. What we always advise students is that there is a line in every letter of admission that states something such as your admission is contingent upon the successful completion of your academic work from the time of admission. A abs absolutely. Right? And I think that is the, and we're going to dive into this question more deeply because I do think that there's other circumstances here. Right. So the first question, the first part of this can be for any listener is, I want to change my schedule. Mm -hmm. Have a good reason why. Right. And it's not the foot off the gas. You didn't like sign up for all those courses at that point just to get in and then say, okay, I didn't really need that calculus course. If anything, we advise our students don't even think about changing that schedule unless you have sought permission from the colleges to which you've and been you, admitted and those that are still in action. Which right? I think is fantastic. And then this make that decision. That hands down because maybe the third part of this question is 
you know, an admission office looking at a transcript and what would happen if they look at it and it's different. You don't want that time that they look at it as a final high school transcript. Right. There's communication. There's communication. All the way through. And let's face it, if it's one English and elective approval. and approval, if it's one English elective for another or one history elective for another, it's the same basic level. It's a college prep level. I don't see that that swap as being necessarily correct. A it, it may be more interest oriented, and we right. get that. That's not an issue. I think the issues arise, and Eric, please correct me if I'm mistaken, is when there's a change in discipline, either, you know, swapping out a science for like, I don't know, a second English class, that could prove to be a challenge. Or if there's a change in rigor. So if a student drops out of an AP or an honors class into a college prep class, it's never a problem if they're going up in rigor, (laughs) right? But if (laughs) they're decreasing the rigor. And then the last part is it's not just changing the schedule. It's making sure the performance that's is right. maintained. Correct me if I'm wrong, no, but that's how we advise our students. What's your take on it? I, I agree with everything that you said. It's, you know, what's the reasoning behind, is this a step up or step down in terms of kind of the, the rigor of the course? Going across disciplines, sometimes students will want to gravitate to something that they're more interested in. But usually the thing that they may try to, I'll say, avoid is still going to be in the curriculum that they're entering into. So it's not time to stop the language or something in quantitative studies. Let's dive a little bit deeper here, though, because this is really where we have extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. There is health involved, either physical health in, in this a case. A chronic medical situation. A chronic medical situation that, as described. And there just needs to be open dialogue here. What is in the best interest of the student? Bottom line, timing what is in the best interest of the student, academically and other parts of life where what does the schedule look like just balance across the board and the health of your child obviously is the most important piece communicate to the school what is taking place and even with the question i think part of the answer is there kind of the transition into college what Mm -hmm. does that look like Mm -hmm. what are the resources just accepted into some you know wonderful colleges what are the resources on that campus? Do they have a medical center? What is ongoing care going to look like? What is housing going to look like? Absolutely. If it's a you know a, an ambulatory disability, yes. right? It, should they be requesting a first floor dorm room? That's whatever right. it happens and to we've, be. We've seen that happen. We've seen that happen at, at the University of Pennsylvania and so many other places. So, what are the needs of the student? What are the needs of your child? Have open communication, whether it's about curriculum or other needs once you're on campus and. The last part here is it may mean a deferral for a year. It could be. Because of the reasons that we've already stated, just making sure that the health of the child is where it needs to be to go into this new environment. We want them to launch. We want them to soar. That's right. Right? We want to equip them with that empowerment. So here's the last part of that for any listener out there who might be struggling with this kind of question. Make sure you have the necessary documentation. So whether that be documentation from a physician or a healthcare professional, I don't know if a university might need that in order for a student to qualify for some services on campus. So it's not a bad idea to ask for a copy of that. That's right. Um, I don't know what your take is on that, Eric, but you know, as a mom, I know that that's something that I would want to make sure I had in hand. Well, the documentation is critical, and the recipient of it is not necessarily either exclusively or at all the admissions office. Correct. It could be the, the medical system, the health system that supports the students. It could, it could be could residential be, life. It could be residential life this may this could get decoupled at some point from admissions and really about the support of the student you know that something else comes to mind we have a lot of students over the years that have had um 
learning differences, right? So that's a whole other level of support that might be communication to, their, to those yeah, offices. Exactly. And, and making sure that the, the proper the support is there. Are there. Right. I absolutely agree. And certainly, please, uh, Kristen, give us give us give us a, another call. We can keep it confidential if you like, or shoot us an email. Just let us know how everything's going at home. I think we'll turn to another question. How's that sign? That sounds great. Sound good? All right. Hi, I have a quick question. My daughter goes to a very rigorous school um, in Bethesda, Maryland, Holt Norm School, and it is a private girls' school. Now, my question is, how does that rank against, let's say, if she gets a high B in an um, honors class compared to an average public school where someone would get straight A's? Um, that is kind of what we're up against, applying to school in the Northern Virginia, Maryland area. And I was curious to see how the college counselors um, uh, are looking at those uh, different schools and how they value the public school curriculum, even if it's an AP public school, compared to a private school that it has a very, very high ranking. Thanks so much. You know, as you think about your your life, you know, where are you living? What are the options around you academically for your children? Mm-hmm. You, you have different choices. Okay, I live in Center City, Philadelphia. What does it look like in terms of the choices immediate to my home? Because I like to try to try to keep the day to day as simple as possible. Sure. But then you start saying, and especially as children get older, what does the fit look like? You know, what type of learner is my child? What type of environment do they need? And then kind of logistics <laughs> can't be the paramount if thing. If you think about it, it's a microcosm for the college search process. It is. Right. With, with more defined parameters, in exactly. the, at least geographically. And so I think the first part of this is if you're living in an area where you have really strong options across a range of public schools, maybe some charter schools, as well as independent schools, day and maybe even a little bit further away boarding, if that's even on the table. Or parochial schools. Parochial schools, product of one my whole life. There you go. And so, you know, what are those options? Really taking a look like the college process, what is the fit? And, you know, to the heart of the question, I think there's always this feeling that if I went over there, I would probably be the top student. But I'm here where the grading is tougher. I was talking about being, you know, earlier in the show, going to the going to some schools for the junior programs. And that is always a question. It's our high school is really difficult. The grades are hard to come by. If I went elsewhere, I'd probably be the valedictorian of the class. What does that look like? And so much, as, as we know, Eileen, is about well, what's the actual learning that's taking place? A grade is one indication. And yes, you're being judged on that in the admissions process, while also if you're in a, an academic environment where you're being so well prepared for college, it means that that investment, well, David Charlo on it at another, right. another show in the future, you're already prepared for that investment because you've really been in an environment where you've been pushing yourself academically. You're, you've been honing those skills. Right. At a, at a early, when, when I went to Penn from my parochial high school in upstate New York, it took me a couple of years to get kind of my feet under my ground, where some other students, hey, they hit the ground running. So here's my take on this, and it's a question that we receive a lot, right? Whether it's to the college admissions professional or in a junior family night or sophomore family night, colleges are going to look at a child in the context of what is available at their high school. 
they're not going to put one kid up from high school A. Here I have a high school profile too. Ask for that high school profile. So a high school profile for our listeners is going to outline what is available at your particular high school, any of those particular courses or perhaps um, uh, traits of your school which are tied to its mission, whether that be a religious school or an independent school. Um, Maybe it will have also not only, you know, vernacular, it will have a perhaps grade distribution chart, at least a way for you to understand how they create their grades. Is it weighted or unweighted, for example? Is it on a 4.0 scale? So having all that base information. A 6.0, all of that's on the school profile. So when an admissions officer is reviewing an applicant, they have the school profile handy so that they can look at the student in the context of their school. So you're never going to have two different schools going head-to-head, two different kids going head-to-head. That's right. I think that's really important for our listeners to understand because they always... As parents, you always want to put your child in the best situation. Oh, absolutely. So I used a metaphor the other day, and, and I, I, I like it. It's a good metaphor. A parent said to me, you know, going to our particular school, we thought of that as the ticket for a selective college admission. And I said, okay, but this is how I'd like to shift that. I don't see it as a ticket. Yes. Because when you hand in a ticket, it is taken from you. I want I students. That. I want students to think or of their holes high are punched school, in it. Right, Something crazy. <laughs> I want students and families to think of their high school education as the passport they're carrying with them on the next step in their journey. So it gets stamped and it's given so back to you, it, and it stays right, with you. Right, but it stays with you, that's right. and that's that's the basis of the education. Right, to be a lifelong learner. You're listening to the process on Sirius XM Stars. Eric Ferda, dean of admissions, University of Pennsylvania. And Eileen Cunningham Fikens, Director of College Counseling, Dwight Englewood School. We're going to hit another question. Hi, this is Maxwell Keller calling, and I just have a question as far as uh, applying to like colleges. I'm a sophomore in high school right now, and I really want to go to the Ivy League. So, what is the best way to stand out on an application and say like that's the student that we want at the school? Thank you. So, we're, let's expand this question. So, the question okay. is, you know. How to get into the Ivy League. How do I get in? How do I get in? <laughs> and, you know. I want to flip it. What school is a good fit for me? And how do you right. define, what is what is Max? Wh- what do you mean by the Ivy League? Are you talking about those eight institutions because they're very different from each other? Or are you saying, I want to go to a school which is um, considered to be a leader in um, terms of Academically rigor, competitive. Academic competitive, resources, faculty, small classroom sizes, internships. What are those elements that are going to make it the gold standard for you. Yeah, kind of reverse engineer it. It's like, what are the elements of a certain grouping of schools that really feel that you feel it'll be the place for you? Because you're going to be surrounded by other students who really take studying seriously. They're, and, and let's face it, the Ivy League has nothing to ambition. do with the green plant. It's IV, Roman <laughs> numeral four. It started in an athletics conference, right, That's Eric? Right. It is an athletics Those schools conference. are very different from each other. And so, you know, I think to really help help Max think about this, it really is, what are, the, what are the elements of your educational environment that you're thriving in right now? Academically, socially, co-curricularly, you know, beyond the classroom, in the larger environment. And then how do you step that up? Because college is stepping up that, you know, kind of that environment that you're in. And what fits the, the attributes that you're what interested in? What Don't fits you? Don't try and Thank fit you. them right? What fits you? What's your story? What's your narrative? Who are you? That's going to make you stand out. If you're true to that, that makes you unique. And being unique means that you're following your own path and that you're going to rock it. Yeah. 
and, and be able to and let's think you know for a second about a couple of the elements you'll get the letters of recommendation and other pieces of the your application essay will tell your story it's not going to sound rote that's right or, or be formatted right it should really reflect who you are that's what it that's what's really exciting you know, I, I just think that there's so many opportunities. And I think Max's question is one that most people have. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, as we continue on, that could resonate with us. Don't go anywhere. We're up next with Marie Bingham, who is the founder of Accept, a social justice action group for the admissions profession. If you have any questions, please leave us a message. 866-993-8267. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Process on Sirius XM Stars, offering guidance and insight into the college admissions process. Here again are Eric J. Ferda and Eileen Cunningham-Fikens. Welcome back. This is The Process on Sirius XM Stars. Eric Ferda, Dean of Admissions at the University of Pennsylvania with Eileen Cunningham-Fikens, Director of College Counseling, Dwight Englewood School. Last weekend of January, whoop, New York whoop. City. Here we are. Here we are. Second half of the show. And why don't you take this lead? I am so excited. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. I am so excited to welcome Marie Bigham onto the program. Um, I spoke with Marie last week, but I have known and known of Marie for several years, many years. Marie is the founder of Accept. And ACCEPT stands for Admissions Community Cultivating Equity and Peace Today. It's a social media-based action group for the admissions profession with over 4,000 members. Marie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Eileen and Eric. It's great to hear from both of you. Hey, Marie. Hey. <laughs> so, Marie, just so that our listeners have some context, you've been in this profession for a while. You started as an admissions officer at Washington University of St. Louis, and you have worked at a number of different schools in a number of different states, including Riverdale in New York, including Bolas and and Florida, including Greenhills in Texas, and now you're at Isidore Newman in New Orleans. Yeah, and actually, and not to not to correct, so I was at after Washington. I was at Riverdale in New York, and then Bishops in. Oh, Bishops are great uh, with Emmy, Emmy, who's oh, been right. on the show Wait, as well. Yeah, yeah, with my forever work wife, Emmy. <laughs> um, and then and then Green Hill and Dallas, and now Newman in in um, is running in New Orleans. Yeah. Which has given you a bird's eye view to not only different school settings, but also different geographic regions of our country, right, and yeah. different communities. Talk to me a little bit about why you founded Accept and what your mission is with this incredible organization. Thank you so much. So, uh, yeah, living around the country has given me a, 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 the privilege of having a, a perspective I think a lot of folks don't get to have by diving deep into different regions and different perspectives of how education fits, how post-secondary education is viewed. Um, so I started Accept except in July 2019, and my initial hope was that it would be just like a quiet little spot on the internet where like-minded folks could hug each other when the world was getting ugly. So I tried this as a Facebook group, um, and I really, I, I mean this sincerely, I thought that we would have maybe 40 or 50 friends. And this was 2017 uh, July, this was two, wow. 2016, yeah. Oh, 16, so we're oh just, my God. Yeah, yeah, so we're, we're not that old. Um, <laughs> and my... My core value, I think, that drives me with, with accept is that if we really do believe, as we say in this country, that post-secondary education is the best pathway to socioeconomic mobility and equality, then those of us who are the gatekeepers to that pathway have more responsibility in clearing that pathway. And in this case, I think that means really fighting for social justice and fighting for equity 
um, in our process, in our work with students, and in our communities uh, where where we work and where they attend school. Uh, That's the core value of it. And I, our mission is that Accept empowers college admissions professionals who are committed to centering equity and social justice in our work and in our community. Now, it's my understanding that you're going to be heading out to, is it USC, um, yeah. for the SERP academic think tank, right? The Center for Enrollment Research yeah. Policy. Talk to me a, a little bit about yeah. that. Yes. So SERP is uh, run by a, a, a great colleague who's had a long time discussion, Jerry Lucido. Mm-hmm. And SERP is a big research that I think takes at USC that looks at enrollment practices and just how the gigantic system fits together. And it thinks about it in a really you know, academic, research-oriented way. So the theme of the conference this year, and it's a small conference, only 180 people go, um, the theme is race and identity in the college admissions process. So I'm, I'm Which is a huge issue in the media right oh my now. Gosh. Right? It's, we've got UNC, enormous. we've got Harvard, we've got all these yeah. cases that are pending, right? We have all these legal cases that are pending for sure, and those are you know gigantic, systematic things. And then we have those day-to-day moments on the ground. What it is to be a person from a marginalized community going through this process, what it is to be a person from one of those communities in our educational setting. So we have these gigantic things like the Supreme Court case, and then we have those small moments that I hope uh, through Accept's work that, that we can start to address and fight uh, more, uh, I think, more systematically, yeah. So, Marie, when you talk about when you talk about those those small moments, not the huge media mm-hmm. moments, not the you know big cases that we're reading about in the news, but those everyday moments, can you give a, our listeners an example of what you're citing in that at that? For sure, and I'll um, I'll 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 tell you a little bit about something that started as a conversation and accept that, that blew up into something that was real life impact. So within accept again our Facebook group. Uh, a counselor started a conversation saying, hey, colleges, are you all aware of how much it costs to send test scores to yep. the colleges the students applying to? Are you aware of how much this might cost? Um, so I think a lot of times our college folks, and, and Eric, I, I, I think that you're one of the smartest and best out there, that you know exactly what's happening within your space, but the aggregate of it and how that aggregate impacts an individual student might be less tangible. Yep, absolutely. And so those the counselor pointed out that for a student who has taken an ACT um, because of their pricing model, if the student's taken an ACT twice and applying to 10 schools, right. that, that could cost them close to $400 to send test scores. Just to send test scores. And, and, and I, really for any family. I mean, this adds up. Right. I mean, it's, right. It, you know, but especially for families those, that aren't getting necessarily the waivers and exactly. you know, just writing exactly. that check easily. Exactly. And so having this type of conversation then elevates right. it. And makes it more powerful, right? right. So, and we and saw we saw like concrete change this year. Yeah. we saw a lot yeah. of colleges now saying, "Okay, you can. We will accept unofficial scores until a child is admitted, and then we need to have the official yeah. scores." Um, yeah. We saw College Board and ACT being more flexible with their waivers and how that mm-hmm. works. So, when I think of your voice as the founder of this organization, oh, and the the concentration or the concentrated or amplified voice of mm-hmm. the organization, I think it's it it says something about who we are as a profession. And I think it's really important for our listeners to understand that while it might see seem against like 
the, the student the against side. like the yes. machine, no, no, right? right? That we are this organization is or this this profession is comprised of individuals who went through this process. Yeah. And I think that says something and have children about going through and have kids processes. going through it or siblings or whatever, right? So I think it says something to the fact that it is a service industry. It is a human industry. And, you know, right before you came on with us today, we were answering a question from a young man who's a sophomore and he wanted to know how to get into selective schools. And we were talking about how he needs to be able to tell his story, what his individual narrative is. And when I'm think I'm thinking of you and I'm thinking of what you're saying and that's what we hope for all our students that their their own narrative is one which is heard. And so that's why I was so excited for you to come on and for us to get some discussion going about accept. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean I think really at the end of the day some of the core human need, right, is to be seen. Just that's to be okay. seen. Putting it. Yes. And and I think for a lot of people, when they go through the admission search and process for what we identify as the dominant culture, you are seen everywhere. If you are someone from a marginalized community, the process doesn't see you very often. And there are parts of it that I think that we as a, as a culture of this admissions process have changed in a really strong way. And I'm thinking about things like changing from mother and father on an application to you know, a caregiver one and caregiver two. Like, I think changes like that make someone feel seen. Um, and what I hope that we can do with an accept is continue to be able to identify those parts of the process that prove to be a barrier or make someone feel unneeded or unwanted or that's, that's not for them. Or they um, might just see as a barrier of entry. Exactly. Right? Yeah, I mean, real or I mean, perceived. It's, it's in front of you, though. I think that's a great right. point. I mean, Marie, you've served on the board of directors for the National Association of College Admissions mm -hmm. Counselors as the vice chair of the Board of Association of College Counselors and Independent Schools, on the board of directors of Texas Association of College right. Admissions Counseling. These leadership positions have given you a voice, but they've also yeah. given you an opportunity to listen. And I think right. that that's, I think that's where the power comes from, because then you can be responsive to that audience. You, you know, Marie, what I'm really thinking here is as you're describing, I mean, and you have such great professional experience and personal experiences through through this profession, the exactly what you describe, though, as kind of the founding kind of fiber of accept is what our high school students are saying. I mean, yeah. The, yeah. a high school student would find accept for their school right. or something similar yeah. to it because, you know, those values resonate with them. And we see this through student activism and wanting to make sure that they are being seen and that they are being heard, you know, as we are here with the government shutdown and day whatever, right? right. It's like, 35, what's 34? the impact of, of, of individuals' lives? And so I think as Accept continues to grow and you'll have, you already have a strong presence in, in social media and heading out to the Facebook conference. Oh my said, gosh, right? yeah. That... Talk to us about that a little bit. That sounds so exciting. The Facebook community yeah. summit. Yeah. Right. Okay. I, so I'm it's blocking. my understanding you're one of eight speakers and that that's happening this February. This is what, their third yes. community summit? Yes, so Facebook is hosting in the first week of February the third uh, community summit, and um, Accept was extraordinarily lucky to be chosen to attend the first one in 2017. Oh, so, a couple of months after we were founded, and they pull leaders from what they see as the strongest, most engaged communities to have a discussion about 
building community together. And this year, they put a call out to alumni uh, to say, hey, if you have a story you want to tell or something you think is worthwhile, send in a proposal. So I, I did, and it, I, I'm still flabbergasted that I was chosen um, to go to represent Accept at the third community summit. But Eileen, as we, since we've last talked, I found out more details. So there are, I think they said, 12 speakers total. Oh I am God. the only alumni who was chosen. <gasps> the rest are like, professional, like, community organization. Well, you're professional. Yeah, but it's, it's a different space. But it's, it's fascinating. It's so cool. But to be able to go interact with folks talking about building community. And what I'm, what I'm speaking about, and I think something that comes so directly from Accept, I'm speaking about how uh, encouraging difficult conversations about what some view as tricky topics, right. encouraging those conversations in these Facebook groups is a tool to build stronger communities. Wow. Which is counter to how a lot of people view it. A lot of times administrators will say, and this is not just Facebook, this is in, in life, you know, we can't talk about X, Y, and Z. It's, it's rancorous, it causes division, things like that. My point is, in doing that, you further marginalize people who are already on the margin. And if you want to build a strong community, you make space for everyone. If you put up good guardrails and have strong, inclusive moderation, this is a very possible thing to do. And I've told from examples, in writing my talk, told from examples of uh, organizations. Give, give us a sneak peek here. Sure. <laughs> so I, talk, I talked about a group that um, it was a group, it's a group of knitters from oh, Southern it. California. And they had the list of topics they don't talk about. Then mm. they posited, hey, let's have this meeting at this store in this neighborhood. And an African-American woman in the group said, I would love to, but I'm not comfortable in that neighborhood which then led to a conversation about race, which then led to the conversation ending. Ooh. And uh, because they said, this is not a topic we talk about here. That has nothing to do with knitting. Wow. Now, right. But what ended up happening was there was pushback and there was a lot of conversation in the group that led the moderators to say, we've really rethought this and we're changing our moderation rules and we're adding different people to the leadership team to have different voices and we understand how this topic for some of our members, impact every moment of their life, including knitting. So, you know, talking I, about that. That yeah. sounds awesome. But I think what you, you know, one of the things I just took out of that, it's those guardrails. That's it's right. That, it's, so thinking it's about for the students rules, right now so as speak, well. Right, because when I, immediately yeah. as a college counselor and working in a high school community, I, I immediately, my brain just jumped to responsible use of your voice on a social media yeah. platform. Um, or, right. or even in real life, God forbid, yes. right? But that's something, it, what a teachable moment. Sure. And some of those guardrails that, that we utilize with and accept, but that um, I'm talking about in this particular talk, it was things like not just having a good moderation team, but as members, the responsibilities that you bring include being humble in your inquiry, not okay. assuming a negative intent or not assuming any intent from anyone, taking people at their face value not questioning identity or life experiences, um, being allowed to tap out and to say, this is too much for me. Um, and I think one of the hardest to enforce and embrace that I think most useful is to accept that there won't always be closure. You can't tie a neat bow right. on these deep conversations. And too often people are almost competitive in these conversations. I have to win you over. I have to change your mind. No. Be humble with it and just accept that we might not wrap it up, and that's just okay. 
You know, our head of school at Dwight Englewood uh, started our faculty opening of school session, I think it was last year, with a, a challenge for us as faculty members and just as members of our community to listen for understanding, mm-hmm. not just listen to respond. Mm-hmm. And, and that and that runs parallel, out, right? <laughs> right? And it, and it's it's right. interesting. It's a real. You have to take a very conscious step in that direction, right? And and I yeah. and how that aligns with the college process. I think it's it's you know philosophical on a large scale, but also I think it's being true to yourself and being mm-hmm. true to the process, which we say to students all the time, right? You know, right. Marie, kind of two questions Ooh. that I have for you. One yeah. is, you know, thinking about our listeners. Yes, this is about the college process, but all processes, you know, changing a job, changing a career. So the first question that I have for you is, you know, being in this profession on both the college counseling side as well as the admission officer side, or as we said at the bake, you know, around the same table, around the, right? table. Around the same <laughs> table, right? Is I mean, you're you're making a change here. So, for, and we talk to students about making transition transitions and change. Anything in terms of advice as you're stepping out of one type of profession, you're still within a similar grouping of people, yeah. but it's a big change. What went through your mind? Sure. Oh gosh, that's such a that's a great question. It's a big question, and um, what went through my mind? I think knowing, and I think the college process is like this too. Knowing that whether you are 100% ready or not that there is a need for some still it's that age, that stuff in your education. For me, I felt like this is just, I have these rare pieces coming together at a moment when the conversation is needed to talk about uh, this big topic, that to be able to switch from a full-time job in college is counseling to doing advocacy work full-time. It just felt like the very right time to do it. Um, but I, I have two things that are always in my mind as I, as I approach this, and one is from my my North Star, Amy Kohler, mm-hmm. and that's the great people do things before they're ready. Great things. Oh, I love, I love that. Right, and that that if you're always waiting for the moment where everything lines up perfectly and I'm ready to do this, it will miss pass. And if great people just jump because you know you can, you can. And so that's one piece. And then another, and this is a little a little different, but I think this is applicable. I think there's a tremendous importance in discomfort. That's fantastic. But we also have to understand the difference between discomfort and being unsafe. So as I make this Hmm. transition, I've been thinking about it through that lens. I'm okay if I'm uncomfortable with some of these moments, this discomfort of this transition, right? I'm I'm stepping into something I've never done before, running an organization versus being a big part of one or being a part of a big organization of it. That's okay for me to be uncomfortable. But there's a moment where I start to feel unsafe. Whereas, like, for example, I won't be able to have an income to, to contribute to my, my family and my marriage. Or That's right. if the work is so physically or emotionally difficult that it's a toll, that's the, that's the unsafe. Right. And as, I, as I'm stepping into this, I'm using that as my gut check. And I think when students step into that college transition, that's right. Yeah. it's okay if you're uncomfortable sometimes. But if you feel unsafe, that's very, very different. And, and what that's, a distinction yeah. it, that is, you know, right. particularly for an adult yeah. to make that decision, but then also a 17, 18, 19 year old. Who might not have right. the vocabulary or the ability to gauge it consciously, mm-hmm. that they, that's a great thing to prompt them to think about. Yeah. So this, it, takes, it takes 
a lot of discernment and thought to come there, but that's what I keep. I keep returning to as my touchstone. Well, you know, just as a piece of advice, you know, whenever you're going through, you know, any type of process, career, college counseling, etc., the college process is write those couple of pieces down. I, I don't know if mm-hmm. you just always had those in your head or you wrote them down in a journal or I would have like an index card that I'd probably pull out and say, okay, you know, or remind me. A blog. Me, remi- a blog <laughs> you know, got my blog, page 217. Always, always bust me on that, Eileen. Always bust so, me on that. But, you, you know, sometimes you have to like literally take that out and, and read it again and remind yourself. Oh, the yeah. second question I have is, you know, you're working with one of your last classes in this type of capacity. Yeah. And... You know, I'm, I'm sure there'll be a lot of tears in May and June, in May one, and then also, you know, graduation. You're graduating. A- any any thoughts on, you know, just kind of the conversations that you have with students that could really benefit our listeners because you have so much experience here, the types of questions they come to you with, and maybe what you're going to miss the most. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm starting. I'm I. So this class that I was current seniors at my school, they were freshmen the same year I started. Oh, man. And oh, a man. big group of them have hung out in my office. The kid, the girls of color in particular from the took over my office their first day of freshman year. And so in making this transition, part of my thought with the timing was I want to graduate with this class. I didn't want to leave before them. And mm-hmm. they're very special to me. So I, I'm going to walk with them. I'm going to graduate with them. That and is I sometimes awesome. worry. I worry that senioritis is kicking in for me, too, and this is for them. Like, oh, hey, I want to get this other thing moving so much faster. But it's I, very I'm catching, that senioritis. It is. It it's is. It's very dangerous. Um, I, I joke, and I joke with them. Oh, my gosh. How am I going to know the most important thing and what music I should be listening to if I'm not with the 17-year-old all day long? But that's really true. That's right. So I'm, I'm working hard to to come up with some type of way to be able to have that continued interaction with teenagers because it's been a part of my day-to-day life for 24 years And now. it totally shapes me as well. I Completely. understand where you're coming from, um, but what a role model you've been for your students so that they can see that if you have a strong dream, if you have a goal, if you have an idea, that there are steps to put that into play. And it doesn't have to just live in your head or your heart. It can live through action and through outreach. So we are so grateful to have you on the program. Thank you. I hope our conversations continue, Marie. We want to keep hearing from you. I know that I'm an active, uh, you know, reader of Accept. And so I I hope that I'll be posting stuff at some point. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks for joining us, Marie. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Happy New Year to both of you. Happy New Year. great weekend, too. You too. Take care. So, Eric, here we are. Wow. Wow. Pretty cool stuff. That's so inspiring, right? And I think we, we throughout all of this is, you know, here you have a, a longtime professional and adult who's making a change. And for students, I mean, all of this is about a process and change. And just to the, the type of reflection that she shared, and I think for the, for the parents that are listening that are helping their children go through this process, for the students who are listening, for the other counselors that are listening, that may don't, maybe they don't have kind of the depth of experience as Marie. Right. And, and you know, I, I really have to say it reminds me why I do what I do and why I love it so much, because it's all about working with people. And it's, this is a profession that is not only about admission, it's about education. What a great 
product, right? Um, and it kind of holds us accountable for that so that there are learning moments and teachable moments throughout this process. If there's one thing my own children have learned through going by going through the college admissions process and what I hope for every student going through this process, it's to take the time to reflect on what is most important to you, to use the research skills that you've learned in your academic world and apply them in a real world setting to make sure the colleges that end up on your list are, are well researched so that they fit what your goals are and what your individual needs are. Um, and to be able to communicate, whether That's it's great. in writing or whether it's in, in speaking, what is your story? How have you manifested what is in your heart and what is in your in your dream and where do you want to take it further that's i think a winning combination that will stand out on any college application it 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 really does and i think what this kind of releases all of us from students counselors parents family members college admissions deans is the fact that this isn't really about one decision no. You know, particularly yeah. on our prior shows, we talked about, you know, what happens in early decision, early action, that one decision, and then how you kind of rebound from it. And, you know, this isn't about one decision. That's why it is a process. It's a culmination of experiences, of, of conversations. And, and students, if you really just take this to heart and think about the opportunities in front of you, I think you're going to always have great choices. And we'll talk about list creation and things like that on some other shows to put them in that position. Right. It's 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 all going to work out. I think that's what we all have to remember. It's all going to work out. And we're always sunny. You know, we're, here we are at the last weekend of the month. And we want to make sure, please give us a call throughout the month. 866-993-8267. 866-993-8267. Or and if email. you're a little shy and you don't necessarily yeah, want to leave a hear voice your voice. Hey, we know how easy it is to email. So shoot us one. The process at SiriusXM.com. That's it's it. It's that simple. We want to hear your questions. So keep them coming. So that's the process. We'll be back at the same time last weekend of the month right here on Sirius XM Stars from New York City. In the meantime, have a great weekend.